You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 18. Hopefully, everybody, as of April 17th, the day that I'm recording this intro, you have completed your taxes. And of course, with these taxes, I do want to apologize. Uh, This episode is running a bit late because I had to do my own taxes. So before we begin, I do want to thank you guys for listening to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. If you're new to listening, I do want to thank you and welcome you. Uh, Please check us out on iTunes. Please make sure to leave us a review and a rating. This definitely helps us uh, get noticed. Also, I wanted to let you know about our partners. All you got to do is go to medicalcodinggeek.com. I made it very easy for you to check out the partners and the promotions section. When you go to the promotions, you could check out some of the discounts that our partners are offering to you all. So if you're looking for a webinar, books, specialty resources, anything, just go to medicalcodinggeek.com. Today on the podcast, we have Christy Pollard aka the coder coach now i have to say that slowly because you'll find out in the interview we talk about her blog post back in 2015 it was titled top 10 cringe worthy things wannabe coders say and so on top of learning more about christy we also talk about the blog post So if you have not read the blog post, I highly suggest you go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast and check out the episode where I link the blog post for you all. So again, I highly suggest you read it before you listen to this interview. So you probably might want to pause this episode, go to the blog post and come back. So now that you've read it, (laughs) now you can listen to this episode. So here is my interview with Christy Pollard. Enjoy. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Not Also Classified. I have here with me Christy Pollard, a.k.a. the Coder Coach. Did I get that right, Christy? You got that right. (laughs) For those listening, it took us like three tries to get this right. I was going, I, I said her last name wrong, and I said coding coach versus code. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, it's all for the show. Well, welcome, Christy, again. How are you? Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> well, just to give you an idea of uh, how we connected, um, well, first of all, I mean, we'll talk about this later. Um, you know, when I first started Medical Coding Geek, not to say that I am one, but just to say that I created the brand um, back in 2015, and we'll talk about this in a second, there was an article, or actually a blog post that came out uh, called Top 10 Cringeworthy Things Wannabe Coders Say. And uh, at the time, I was doing Facebook uh, early on 2015. This came out and 
you should have seen the social media, uh, at least on the coder end, and even on LinkedIn, it was going crazy. And all of these posts, reposts, you should can imagine the metrics on your <laughs> on your end where it went, how it you know how it uh, traveled. But you know that we'll talk about a little bit on you know the details of it. But it created, it resonated a lot of uh, really a good message out there to those that are especially new. And um, I didn't realize it was you. So we had an actual you know meeting uh, way back. Not too long ago, sorry, I'm fighting a cold. Uh, way back, and you know, your name came up. I said, "Well, I should interview you too." But then, you know, things connected, and Christy Bullard, coder coach, I said, "Oh my gosh, it's her!" <laughs> and, and then it went. I said, "There was something she did," and it went back. And I said, "That's the blog. Let me have her on." <laughs> <laughs> so that's good of you that you created that. So. Um, Let's go ahead and get started. What I usually do is always have everybody uh, tell them about themselves. So can you tell the audience a little bit about where you came from and how you came to be? Oh, wow, that's a deep question right there. Um, well, it was an accident, actually. My entire career was an accident. <laughs> and it was supposed to happen. A good accident, right? <laughs> a good accident, yes. absolutely. I've I love hearing how people find the coding field because it's never one of those, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a coder kind of thing. And um, I wanted to be a teacher and wanted to go to college, you know, four-year university, be a teacher. And it just wasn't in the cards for for my family financially. And my, my mother had gone to community college. She had her ART at that time. And told me, you know, why don't you just go, go through the HIM program at the community college, get your two-year degree, and then you can make some decent money while you put yourself through school for whatever it is you want to go for. And she said, but I really think you're going to like it. And so here's this, you know, young girl right out of high school going straight into community college and not understanding what anything was. This was not my passion. And I took I took a couple of coding classes and I hated it. I didn't understand it. I I thought, you know, I don't know why anybody would ever want to do this. And when I went to do my coding internship, and back then, you know, twenty two years ago, you went to the hospital and actually sat there and coded from paper records, which is awesome. But um, it started to be fun, and then the internship supervisor said, wow, you really, you have the skill for this. And I'm thinking, I do. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and, um, and that was the first time ever that I had, like, this clear vision of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And she, after my three-week internship, she crunched some numbers and she wanted me to work for them so badly that she found um, the justification to add an outpatient coding position. And as, as soon as she could, she promoted me to inpatient. And from there, I mean, it took off. I, within three years, I was managing. I was a coding supervisor and uh, I was too green for that and didn't know what I was doing. So wouldn't recommend jumping into that. 
And within five years, I started in coding consulting and have been consulting ever since. Amazing. Wow. So within five years, you've, you've like skyrocketed into a consulting role. I did. My mom always said, you know, wow, you've done everything that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but I had a family and, mm-hmm. you know, my family was priority. She said, you are on the fast track. And I, I did. I had hit all of the career goals I had set for myself by the time I was 26. And then I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah, no, you're right. So <laughs> so let me ask you, what, what do you think made that, because like, normally... You know, you see it from a long-term perspective, but within five years, that's actually pretty fast. So, what do you think that would con- what do you think would have contributed, or what did you contribute to make it uh, within a five years to be a consultant? Oh, um, perseverance, determination. I I knew what I wanted, and I set my sights on it, and I threw everything I had into it. I. When I did my internship, they had me doing all these fun projects, and they continued to give me those projects. I, it, As much as I love the coding field, I have a really hard time coding charts for eight hours a day. And my supervisor recognized that early on, and she would give me other projects. And, um, I mean, I messed up a lot. When I looked back... I think, oh my goodness, my head was way too big. I was, I, I thought I could do so much more than I really was qualified to do. But I think that naivete really served me well because I think if I had waited until I had the experience, mm-hmm. um, none of it would have ever happened. Right, right. And do you think it would be? I think it was a matter of timing that kind of contributed also to that uh, big jump. Um, maybe a little bit. I mean, you know, when I, I graduated from, from community college, they told us in school, you will not get a coding job right out of school. Everybody wants to be a coder, but it's not going to happen. And there were no coding jobs open in Denver at the time. And I, when I went to do my internship at that, at that hospital, and I, I fell in love with the people. It was just, a, you know, one of those amazing, the stars are all aligned, uh, job situations. And I remember thinking, looking at the longevity of the coders who worked there and thinking, somebody's either going to have to retire or die in order for me to get a job here. And luckily that wasn't the case. But um, I think I think part of it was luck. I think... Most of it was my sheer determination, and I wanted to learn so badly. And I, you know, that's where I met my first mentor, my first um, supervisor, my internship supervisor. She really paved the way for me, and I, I, I give her a shout out everywhere I go. Her name is Lila Mayer. She is a, a coding supervisor or coding manager. She's something higher up now here in the Denver area. When you transitioned from a hospital to, I guess, you were working in the hospital and you went into consulting, can you describe that transition? How was it like? Oh, well, personally, it was a a time in my life when I needed to do something different. I had 
been in a supervisory position for a, this is, you know, right around 2000, right around 2000. Um, and I was working for a hospital that was part of Columbia HCA. And we were one of the hospitals that, um, before I got there, um, had been investigated by the OIG and was under a corporate integrity agreement, which is a very stressful thing to work under. So I was a green coding supervisor working in mid-level um, or I guess lower management for the first time ever. And um, that was that was my first management job and that was when I started to decide that management probably wasn't for me. And so I wanted to change positions and I thought, what do I want to do? You know, I kind of want to see things. I've, I was born and raised in Colorado, but I, I don't want to move, but I'd like to see something different. So I applied for a traveling coding consultant position and um, they said, what do you want to do? Your, your resume is really impressive. And I said, you know, audits, coding, I don't care, but I don't want to do management. And so what did they do? They, my first job was, was an interim management position <laughs> at another Columbia HCA facility because I, was, I had had that experience. And it wasn't, it's easier, I think, to be um, interim. I, I won't say that the job itself is any less challenging, but um, to know that you're not, you know, kind of stuck there, I guess. It sounds like a horrible way to say it, but um, I... You have your, you have your, the, you have your options as an interim person. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was an AR reduction um, uh, gig, I guess, and started to learn a lot there. And we had a... Remember, we're dealing with paper records. So we had this huge backlog, millions of dollars of backlog, and I'm on the phone with my boss, and he's he's saying, well, Christy, we got to get AR down. Tell me how many coders you need, and I will send you coders. And I'm looking at my office at this empty shelf, and I said, that's not the problem. I, we can't find records to code. It doesn't matter how many codes I have. So send me somebody who can find records. And they did. They sent me somebody from Wisconsin to come out. And this, she didn't know the hospital, but she combed that hospital and found records. And um, so it was an experience. You see things as a consultant that you never dreamed were even possible. <laughs> Uh, and I did that for a few months, and then they moved me into auditing. And again, that was back when, if when I was going to do an audit, you know, I flew out to the client. They pulled a hundred records for me, and I had to sit there and audit them all week, and then do an exit interview with the coders uh, at the end of the week, which I think is such an amazing way to hone your coding skills when you have to defend everything that you've just told somebody to do. Yes, I think that makes it very, um, you're put on the spot. You know, you, you say, okay, well, this is what I really know, and I have to show it off. I used to wonder why auditors, when I was being audited, used to quote coding clinics mm-hmm. and 
CPT assistance and all that. And I'd be like, oh, God, she knows coding clinic backwards and forwards. And I thought, well, now I know because you have to defend everything that you do as an auditor. And it was funny because I last um, my last interview um, with uh, I had Paula Digby. She's in compliance and uh, she used to be in compliance. Um, And we made it a point like when you you know, do things in terms of denials, when you do things in terms of um, auditing, you know, even in clinical documentation improvement, it's all about proof, you know, and when you, yeah, when you, um, when you present something, they're always just like, okay, how did you get that? Where did you get that from? Uh, you know, in terms of denials and even appeals, you have to show that. It's like going to court. <laughs> you have to come up with evidence to support your claim. And without evidence to substantiate it, I mean, you're you're really in the dust. It's funny you say that because that's exactly how I think of it. And I remember thinking at one time, who would want to be a lawyer? I mean, everything is based on precedent. You have to know all these old laws. And one day as I was trying to find a coding clinic that was sort of like what I was working on, but wasn't exactly that. I thought, well, this is what we do on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, the coding clinic is, uh, for those that are new, it's produced by the American Hospital Association. And um, they they pretty much, they, they, they gather all of this these questions from around the nation and especially these tough questions. Some of them are, are very, you know, common sense ones, but apparently they get <laughs> they get sent up to coding clinic and then they they answer them. Uh, and like uh, like Christy said, th- th- it serves as some form of precedence, meaning that you can always reference them back because it's a publication. Uh, it's, I believe, four times a year, four quarters a year. And uh, they have a lot of information. It's a publication. You go back to them. And I'm sure for everybody that's in the groups, you hear that mentioned a lot. Oh, Coding Clinic this, uh, this year, this uh, quarter, <laughs> this page. And it actually is a, is a guidebook that can help you now. Um, to help understand this, you know, there's a certain hierarchy in terms of uh, Coding Clinic coding guidelines, coding conventions. So anytime, let me ask you, you, you know this question is, or you know the answer to this one is, um, you know, does coding clinic like proceed or, you know, trump everything else in terms of coding uh, guidelines and anything else that they're learning from school? Well, um, it's funny you should mention that because that's the thing that's been keeping me up um, and kept me up last night. Hierarchy is, book, you know, book conventions and instructions, coding guidelines, and then coding clinic. Um, But recently we had uh, the new coding guidelines come out for 2018, and there is a convention that says that the guidelines override that. And um, I keep going back and forth and reading it like a lawyer, you know, reading these guidelines and comparing them and thinking, I can't be the only one who's confused by this. You know, I can't be the only person who is is kind of struggling with the fact that we've always been told conventions first and then the guidelines, and now there's an exception, which I'm, I'm sure just to, you know, go into some a little bit of background there, it's not just something that somebody in their office is writing up. This is the cooperating parties coming together 
which um, we lovingly refer to as four women in a room. <laughs> it's more than that, but, you know, it's AHIMA, the American Hospital Association, CMS, and the National Centers for Health Statistics coming together and answering these coding questions and developing the coding guidelines. It's, it's not that um, they didn't just change these this guideline or this convention just to make our lives miserable. There was something there, um, but I just wonder if there needs to be a little more elaboration. And I'm kind of waiting for the rest of the questions to come in, and I'm starting to read things. It's the WIS convention, by the way, which you know has caused so much anxiety over the last year anyway. Is it called the WISC convention? The WISC convention, the one that says that if, if you have the word WISC in oh, the index, with, you assume. With W-I-T-H. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yes. Yeah, that, yes. one, is, that one is, uh, I'm like, WISC? What? <laughs> okay, with. Oh, WISC. <laughs> I thought it was a WISC, like, you know, when you, yes. where you beat the eggs with. So, okay, with. Um, yes, it is a breakfast issue. <laughs> <laughs> For those that are listening, it's, it's what time is it? It's 8 o'clock here. It's all, it's about past 6 o'clock over where she's at. <laughs> so we're, I'm trying to get my coffee in. Have you had breakfast yet, Christy? Um, no, but I have coffee. Okay, good. <laughs> then we'll, we'll survive over that. All right, so. Um, you make a very good transition, and I'm trying to capture those, those transition points is, you know, from the time that you were a coder, from the time that you go to management, then you go into consulting, uh, interim management, then auditing. Um, I guess for, for those that are listening, there's a certain transition. You, you either want to be uh, in the trenches doing the coding or do you want to move yourself up and oversee the operations? And even, you know, I guess the true, you know, when you look at it from a coding perspective and as you get per experienced, you know, you see more about, I think, coding philosophy. <laughs> if you want to say that, you get into more into that and how, uh, things should be, and I think when when you start getting more involved in like uh, looking at coding clinic and say, okay, this works, this doesn't work, and and to the point where you feel like you might influence it, like you want to go fly over there to the ICD-10 uh, maintenance and coordination committee to actually say something, hey, you know, this is not right, whatever, you know, that to me um, is definitely something that you want to go for because one person that um, that opened my eyes to it. And you might hear this a lot in, in previous blogs is Dr. Robert Gold. Uh, and um, one thing that I have had an opportunity to do before he passed away was meet him. And he opened my eyes in such a way that, you know, what we do in coding is so much more. You know, you look at it from an open minded perspective of that, you know, like you just said, in the in the um, in the in the coding clinic uh, meetings, what happens is that they involve everybody else everybody from the top associations and it's a very 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 um very serious uh, you know job to do and with robert gold what he what he did to me is when i listened to him you know it's a matter of like you know oh this diagnosis i can actually make a call and you know to this association and you know kind of leverage or i guess like you want to say lobby it becomes a little bit more political at some point where like my gosh you know is this really serious <laughs> you know it's really serious and you know he opened my eyes to the point where you know this is where you want to look at coding not just from just you know 
you know, getting, you know, going to school, uh, grabbing a code book and then just assigning the codes. And I think it, there's such a much deeper understanding that everybody needs to understand with assigning codes. Absolutely. And I, I was listening to your, your two-part podcast with um, Dr. Lamoco and him talking about the clinical truth. And I, I thought, yes, that's, that's it. But a, a coder, it, it's, a, it's a triad for a coder. There's the clinical piece. There's the coding piece, you know, knowing those coding guidelines and everything. And there's the reimbursement side, which you balance with revenue integrity and all of that. And I think, um, and, and the way Coder Coach got started was I was so disappointed in what people were hearing in school. It, you know, it's, and it's not the school's fault because coding in itself is so complex that you can't learn it all in two semesters or four semesters or however long your, your course is. Um, and they can't really go beyond that. They can't show you how to connect those extra dots. So when I took coding, I was also taking pathophysiology at the same time. And you could kind of see how the clinical stuff fit together. But the reimbursement stuff came later, and I didn't, I, I wasn't connecting the dots. And mm-hmm. I, I've been told that I have uh, the ability to explain difficult things in an easy-to-understand way. And remember, I wanted to be a teacher, so I've really come full, cir- full circle at this point. I, education was always on my mind, and my bosses always knew that. So they always kind of pushed me into a, a place where I would... I would get would get there, but um, I I talked to a gentleman a couple years ago, and one of the best um, phone calls I've ever had. He found me. He found the coder coach and said, "You know, can I just talk to you for like an hour? I just I'm so confused." And he was going through the an RHIA program, and this was I don't know probably about eight or nine years ago. So, you know, if you can kind of think of where EHRs were eight or nine years ago and being an RHIA student, they were really pushing him to go towards that. And he he said, everybody's telling me that because I'm getting an RHIA, I have to go this route, but I really like coding. And are there opportunities in coding? And then he told me that he had the opportunity to have a paid, I think it was a paid internship for a a month or two at a hugely um, well-renowned medical center. And people that he was going to school with told him not to take it because he um, was going to be an RHA, and he was so much more than a coder. Mm-hmm. He could be, you know. And so I started the, talking I'm sorry, to let me, him let me about, go back. So the, the paid internship was for coding? It was for coding. They were going to teach him and train him to be a coder on the job. And, um, and I'm like, oh, my God. I said, do you know how many people would kill for that opportunity? And... Uh, I I had the opportunity um, several years ago to work for a revenue management company, and and I, so I I kind of explained to him what I did for them and 
how we worked with some of the charge auditors and, you know, charge master updating and APCs and DRGs and the revenue integrity piece of it. And he's like, that sounds so interesting to me. And he took the internship and we, we are connected on LinkedIn and he appears to be a very successful coder now. And, and just, so it, you know, for people who are, are going for those higher, higher educational levels, I think sometimes there's a stigma around coding that it's a technical job. And if you're an RHIA, you're above that, you know, you you should be in management. But there are so many wonderful management opportunities on the coding side. And if that's your passion, that, that's the other thing. Um, a couple reasons I started Coder Coach was, first of all, to help fill that knowledge gap. Well, before before you go back people, into there, when did you start Coder Coach? I started Coder Coach in 2009, and I had done a version of it, kind of a version of it, um, with my employer before that. And um, and really, what I wanted to do was provide this information and become this kind of mentor to satisfy my own, um, you know, just something to do. My own, I felt like it was my greater purpose. Unfortunately, my employer saw it as a money-making opportunity. And I partnered with a local college here in Denver that um, it's a, a trade school and partnered with them and said, you know what, I'll just come out one night a month and talk to your students about just something, something they're not going to learn in school, but that, you know, I think they should know and we'll have a discussion and they loved it. And so unfortunately, you know, things didn't go well with my employer. I decided to leave there. And when I left there, I wanted to do it again, but I wanted to do it a little differently. I didn't, I wanted to kind of reinvent it. And, um, that was when I named it Coder Coach. And I decided to, I, it kind of started with the blog and then still going to this trade school and presenting. And ever since then, I've been very, very careful with any employers I work with. I say, you know what? I have this thing. I do it on the side. I, you know, I don't mind sharing with my audience what we're working on at work to try to, you know, get the word of what we're doing out there. But I don't take sponsors and I don't take guest postings. I, I get a lot of, of requests for that. And really, it's just that um, it's been my own thing. I, I don't get paid for it. I don't take money for anybody for anything for it. Um, and I don't blog, you know, all the time, which people have probably noticed a lot of changes in my personal life over the last few years that have made that a little more difficult. But um, it's it's something that I do for personal fulfillment as opposed to trying to um, make a buck or, you know, make anybody else a buck. So that, that's how Coder Coach came about. Yeah, and I think it's important that if you truly want, you know, if you have a higher calling of just sharing information and helping people um you know even if it's for free somewhere down the line <laughs> it's gonna make money or it's gonna benefit you because it all full, comes to full circle 
you know, because, you know, for those that are interested in just doing that type of thing in terms of creating content, and I, I know we're now in a special age where, you know, content can be just sent out very freely, um, you know, start doing it, you know, just put out something, you know, to have a purpose with it and just could keep on adding that content. And, you know, you've done this, gosh, for 2009. I didn't realize that <laughs> such a long time ago, 2009. And uh, you've been doing, um, you've been building it up until then. And I'm seeing some of the the blog archives and you went in really good in 2010 with 40 posts. And then you also went into 2012 with 37. And, um, you know, I didn't realize how far back this went. I was like, my goodness, this is before I even thought about creating it. You know, what's funny back in 2009, and I mentioned this in the in, in the intro, is I actually wanted to create a blog myself. But I think I was at a point in 2000, actually in 2009, uh, I had created not elsewhere classified dot blogspot. I used blogspot too, <laughs> and then um, and you know I sat there. I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm in a position to do this, you know. So, um, I guess my question is for those that want to create content, when do you think it's ready to start doing something like this? When it completely consumes you and you can't think of anything else, I. And I will tell you that um, I, it hasn't consumed me as much over the last couple of years because, as you as you mentioned, there is so much information out there that is readily available. Um, your your Facebook group, Medical Coding Geeks, I follow it, and I follow a couple of others. And um, over the last few years, you know, with ICD-10, I I I should say that I didn't. I audited for a few years. I still audit on and off, but for the last um, probably almost 15 years, I've been an educator working working for consulting firms and was one of the first people in the state of Colorado to get my ICD-10 trainer approval through AHIMA. And at that time, um, started chairing the ICD-10 task force through our our state association, um, Colorado Health Information Management Association. And that consumed me. And then I started seeing all these blog postings and coding really took off during the ICD-10 conversion. And and I thought, you know, I just don't, I feel like my voice has been drowned out. In 2009, nobody else was really doing the same thing. And I didn't feel like I had much to contribute over the last few years. And, and you, you were talking about how many posts I've had. I can't tell you how many posts I've started and haven't finished and published. And, and I have notes written all over the place. So it's either I have the... I have that drive and I don't have the time or I just kind of feel like um, there have been times when I don't feel as relevant anymore, but you know, that's starting to come back that the blog post you mentioned at the beginning, um, the top 10 cringeworthy things people say, they, they came from my inbox, my coder coach inbox and from, you know, things that I saw on Facebook and, you know, I, 
I think everybody should go read the blog post, but spoiler alert, number one is I want to work from home. And well, let's, let's, that's let's, let's actually I go, let's go through, cleared. let me, let me go back a second here. Um, okay. Let's go back to the actual blog post. So, um, hold on, let me ask some questions here. Back in 2015, right? So that's a while back. I thought it was like 2016 and, um. But I'm going back. It's, it's like, well, yeah, it's December. <laughs> it's close to 2016, right? And this is the time I think uh, that ICD-10 had just been implemented on that that year in October. And um, you know, you can you imagine like everybody wanting to be a coder, and and now that we have this change and and all of these things. So let's take a step back. So what made you? You could probably repeat it again. <laughs> what what made you want to create this blog post? Um, a couple things. I wanted to get a blog out there that people would read. <laughs> um, you know, I've got some some good stats on some things, but I was thinking of blog posts that capture my attention. What's clickbait? And um, <laughs> top ten yeah. lists. People love top ten lists, and I thought, okay. A top 10 of what people think, you know, these cringeworthy things people want to say. Titles are everything. I've learned that in blogging. Um, and, you know, I, I read it back now and I'm like, oh, Christy, that sounds a little harsh. But um, but that's, it's good. You know, in, in, my, in my opinion, before you continue, is is that to me, I think why it resonated in social media back then is that it's it's something that needed to be said. <laughs> I think that's what when, when I read it, I said yes. Everything's like yes, yes. I would have said the same thing. I would have added something more tougher. <laughs> you actually said it. <laughs> you said it nicer. Well, and, there probably, I, and, and so there probably was something tougher in there before I edited it. Uh, you know, I kind of, I, I try to do the, the tough love approach when I'm talking to coding students, which, you know, people will tell you anything to take your money and enroll you in a coding program. And the, the idea behind Coder Coach is this is what people are going to tell you. I've been in the field for over 20 years, and this is what I'm going to tell you is the reality. And, um, I just, you know, people are, will, they'll listen to what they want to hear. And um, I just felt like somebody needed to kind of give them that shock and that jolt and say, yes, it is possible. What they're telling you is possible, but this is the reality and this is the work that it takes right. to get there. So let's go through, let's go through actual post, you know, step by step. We'll do like a mini summarization and kind of give your thoughts on it. So number 10. We're going from 10 to 1. Number 10, which type of coder pays the most? We get that question a lot, uh, especially in, our, in my group. It's like, okay, which certification pays most? Uh, which uh, association pays most? Which job get, you know, pays the most? You know, it's, it's very hard to get that salary. So what, do you, what did you think when you wrote that? Well, um, I was kind of thinking back to after I had been um, consulting for a while, somebody came up to me after um, one of my speaking engagements and she said, how do I be you? And I, I said, I'm sorry, what do you mean? She's like, I want, I want to do what you uh -huh. do. 
And I said, well, how long have you been coding? Oh, I've been here about six months. I just got my trainer certification. I'm like, well, I've been doing this for 15 years. And I don't recommend standing up in front of people and saying what you do, um, you know, giving them advice when you don't know what you're talking about. So the best... The best preparation is being in the trenches, um, and the answer to which type of coder pays the most is a really good one. And the only way you become a really good one is to get your foot in the door. And kind of like you were asking me earlier, um, you know, do you think that your career, any of your career, was luck? Well, I think it was a lot of hard work. Because every time they said, hey, we need somebody to work on this project, I was there raising my hand. I want to do it. I have no idea what I'm doing. But as long as you're good with the fact that I don't know what I'm doing, um, and, you know, just being very inquisitive and asking a lot of questions and making, letting your, your employer know what your ultimate career goal is. And don't tell them, you know, in six months, I want to be doing X, Y, and Z, because in six months, they want you to still be working for them. I can guarantee that. Um, but, you know, say my ultimate career goal, and and Lila, my mentor, my first mentor, knew this. She said, you really seem to want to do education. So um, how about you read the, the coding clinic for the rest of us and then summarize it at the meeting? Or, you know, let's have you work with this department. So just being very inquisitive, but getting your foot in the door, it, you're not going to land a six-figure job right out of school. I'm not going to say you're not going to get a coding job right out of school, but you're not going to make six figures right out of school, and you will have to pay All your right. So let's move on to number nine. Should I be a hospital or a physician coder? And I think this also ties in, you know, should I get a CCS or a CPC? What do you, what do you think? Or why, why did you write that? that? Is, Though I guess the question is, um, why, how, how did you, when you wrote that question, why did that question come up? Well, because when people ask me where to start, I always direct them to the AAPC and the AHIMA website, which then gets me the questions, um, which one? And then I say, well, which kind of coder do you want to be? I'm not saying that you can't, you know, cross, cross from hospital to physician or, or vice versa or go, you know, I happen to have credentials through both AHIMA and AAPC, but um, traditionally physician coders or physicians are more AAPC oriented and then AHIMA really focuses on hospital. And so then, you know, they're, they're like, well, what kind of coder do I want to be? Well, you really kind of need to sit down and think about what it is you want to do. And I think you need exposure to both in order to be able to really make the decision. Because as I mentioned in the blog post, I would rather poke my eyes out with a dull pencil than do E&M coding. <laughs> but at least, you know, I will. Uh, yeah. And you know what? I have colleagues who love E&M coding. I happen to be very into um, vascular interventional radiology and cardiology and I have other coworkers who are like, what possessed you to want to get into that? So you just, you have to find out where your passion is. And that's my, that's my biggest thing as, as you go through this is follow your passion, find your passion and then follow it. 
that's where the opportunities yeah, are. I think that the key is you need to do some soul searching <laughs> before you make you make that. You know, it's like, okay, I mean, it's great that you're asking me, but I don't think you should be asking me you know, when you're coming out of, you know, school, I think you need to get in there. Like you say, get in the, tre- the get in the trenches, go to hell and back and then make that decision, you know, like what makes it better or, you know, like really do an intensive soul search. Like, you know, what do I really, really want to do with my life? You know, money is not really the good idea, but it's more like, what do you want to do continuing further that will, you know, most be beneficial to yourself? All right, let's move on to let's move on to number eight. Uh, no one will hire me with the coding credential I have. They want something else. What does that mean? This is this is where I start to get a little frustrated with um, people who are going out and getting credentials. Um, never ever take a school's word for it, that there is a need for whatever it is that they're selling you. You need to go out on your own. You need to do the research. You should be looking at job postings before you ever decide what school to go to and seeing what kinds of credentials are required for your area. Unless you want to, you know, move somewhere else, then look at what the credentials are, are what employers are requiring for that area. Um, but you need to do that research. If, first of all, if you have an AAPC or an AHIMA credential, I think you're good. You know, there will be hospitals who prefer AHIMA over AAPC credentials. Um, maybe you have a hospital credential when your employer really wants a physician credential. But if you go with one of those two organizations, you're pretty much set. If you go outside of those organizations, it's probably not going to go well. And yes, I have seen coding credentials from, that I've never heard of that um, are not well known. Yeah, I know. I've seen this where I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't know the name of the organizations, but they, there's some people in the group, uh, at least on Facebook, that I see says, "Oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing undergoing this type of certification with this organization." And you know, in my mind, I'm like, "What is that?" You know. And you know, the- <laughs> well, that's the blog post I'm working on oh, right okay. now. I, I I mentioned that I had worked for a revenue management company, and um, my job was to train coders to become auditors, kind of a teach them to fish kind of a thing. And we were working with a client in a rural community, and they couldn't find. Um, good candidates and they had sent they used to send us resumes and I perused this resume and and I looked at the coding credential and I thought I've never I've never heard of this and I I gave it to one of my colleagues and I said have you ever heard of it and we googled it and it it was some school who offered a coding credential at the end of their their education so they couldn't hire anybody else there were no other applicants and they thought well you know at least she knows what coding is so Christy, you can train her. And she walked into class the first day, and I picked up an ICD-9 book, ICD-9 at that time, and um, she's like, what What book is that? And I just kind of stopped and looked at her, and I said, it's an ICD-9 book, and this blank look on her face. They taught her CPT, but they didn't teach her ICD-9. Um, so at least, you know, I, I know there are people who are very pro 
a HEMA or pro AAPC, I'm saying just stick with at least one of them and you're on the right track. Yeah. Let's go to number seven. Where can I get free continuing education credits? Now, before before we we go into this is um, when I started this podcast, uh, the first question I got was, does this offer free CEUs? And I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, uh, I don't think I'm at that point where I can offer free CEUs. And we can kind of explain what a CEU is, and at least on the back end, uh, what does it entail? But, you know, I mean, I would love to offer free CEUs, but at least from a business perspective, it is very difficult to do that because there's an approval process and this and that. And the reason why I created this podcast is to be a free resource. Now, I'm not trying, you know, and also the reason why I created this podcast was to get away from the norm of doing webinars. This is more of an interview. I want to know people uh, and what they do. And I don't think you should get a <laughs> continuing education credit for the episode. <laughs> I mean, it's good. I mean, if you support the podcast, maybe we can get to that point. But, you know, uh, but anyways, why did you put number seven as uh, can I get a free continuing education credit? Well, free CEUs are out there. Um, and just to piggyback off of what you were saying, <clears throat> the reason uh, free CEUs are hard to come by is because whoever is offering you CEUs paid for them. Uh, you have to pay a HEMA and AAPC and go through an approval process. And so they're trying to recoup that. Now, the only entities who don't have to do that are a HEMA organizations. So sometimes uh, component state associations will offer free CEUs. Here in, in Colorado, we have uh, a meetup group, actually, on meetup.com, and it's called uh, our coffee chat, our data quality coffee chat. And um, we we meet in different parts of the state. Uh, Denver hasn't been doing so well lately, but we're looking to get that back up. And um, just kind of sit and chat for a couple of hours, go through coding clinic or go through op reports or whatever. A- PC chapters give uh, free free CEU workshops, and you know I I get notifications. There are several in the the Denver metro area and a little bit south of here. It depends on where you are. Uh, sometimes you are going to have to pay, and I wouldn't think of it as just getting my CEU credit. Those are networking opportunities, which are so invaluable so the the blog post i'm i'm working on right now is called leaving your house and other strategies for getting that first i know we have to get get off the couch and i always uh i always say that these two words either keyboard commandos or cubicle warriors you have to get out of that box you know and this is you know this podcast is going to drive you to do it to get up get out Shake some hands, look people in the eye, say hello, you know, and and create a connection, <laughs> not just on social Absolutely. media, you know. Because that's where the jobs are. That that those are the people who are going to hire you. Those people that you look in the eye and shake their hand and say, you know, my name's Christy, and I want to be a coder. And any opportunities you could give me, I would love. I know it sounds very. I never would have done that 22 years ago, but it's a different world now. We live in a virtual world, and you need to go meet people. And I think the key is that you need to just make a, a physical 
physical or either you know if if you can't do it then at least a phone call would be nice you know at least to hear a voice versus like oh you know type this type that we'll get into um number four that kind of ties in there but before that number six i can't afford to join an association like ahima or aapc what do you have to say about that yeah and this one's tough i mean um no, I, I know that this is a second career for a lot of people. A lot of people are, are single parents and they're going back to school. Uh, my advice is to find a way. And I know that that's kind of a, not a, a really heartfelt thing to say, I, because I don't know everybody's personal situation. But I have seen people do amazing things because they wanted it so badly. And that's, those are the people we're looking for. When, you know, it doesn't, yes, you need to have the coding skill, but I want to hire the person, and I, I shouldn't say me personally because I'm not in a hiring position, but if I was a manager, I want to hire that person who is just so hungry to get the job and to come to work every day. Those people are priceless. So if you want it badly enough, you'll find a way. And if you're, if you're lucky enough, as you progress in your career, you may find an employer who's willing to pick up your membership yeah. fees for you. Yeah. And that depends on the person. You know, you have to, again, in order to, to make that happen, it comes back to what we just talked about, making connections. Um, telling your st- And I think really it's tr- telling a story. If you can tell their story in such a way that's a, that is um, – that is intriguing, you know, and shows that what you said, the drive, I think people will, you know, go, you know, side with you and say, hey, I want to help you out, you know, and, and I think that's all you need to do. Just don't ask, tell them why, you know, if you can, I don't want to say tell your full story, like everything, but if, if you can show that uh, a little bit of vulnerability, like, hey, look, this is my situation, and but I'm willing to do this. Uh, you know, show that that you know you can bend which way, but also uh, you have the drive to to succeed. And also, from an employer side, you want to see also you know their side. You know, th- you know, in terms of business, you know, everybody has to have a win win. You know, if I'm going to accept you, how are you going to make this institution, this department, this business better? And I think you have to answer that question every time you do that. So if you can't afford it, I mean bite the bullet, make it happen. Um, find some way to happen, to make that happen or ask, you know, and, you know, it's not a matter, not a matter of begging. I don't want to make you seem like you want to beg, but you know, tell your story, you know, talk, open your mouth, say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm this. And I think the key word that I always say is prove yourself. How can you prove, you know, who you are to people, you know, and then that, like you said, it opens doors, especially when you make those connections. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's move on to number five. This is my second, and you put in parentheses, or third career. I can't, again, it's a matter of uh, affordability. Uh, you can't start from the bottom. So I, I guess to give an idea is there are some people who um, uh, start off, like they, they didn't come in from, an, they came in from another industry at higher paying position. And then when they go to school and they finally get their credentials and they finally find that job, uh, they say, oh boy, I got to take a pay cut. So I think this is what in, is in lines with what you were, you were trying to talk about here, number five, right? Yeah. Um, 
And I in in there I talk about, you know, if I decided tomorrow that I want to go be an aerospace engineer, there probably would be a little bit of a learning curve. And I'm I'm not trying to compare coding to air, being an aerospace engineer, but it is highly technical and there it it just takes experience. So yeah, like I said, nobody's gonna pay you six figures coming right out of the gate. And um, you you might have to work a second job as you're you're getting yourself going. Again, if it's something that you really want to do, you'll find a way to make it happen. But um, I when I first started Coder Coach, I was following some boards on LinkedIn, and there was one person in particular who was very very outspoken about the fact that they couldn't get a job in coding and that, um, you know, well, I got my RHIT or RHIA or whatever position they got or whatever credential they got. And, um, I worked as a manager in, you know, communications or whatever. And there's nothing new here. It's, it's the same management fundamentals that you learn for other industries. And just the tone was to me, if I was, if I was a hiring manager, I wouldn't hire him because he basically, as far as I'm concerned, just called me an idiot. But, you know, my years of experience mean nothing because everything he learned, you know, and I'm thinking, well, what about HIPAA? What about electronic health records? What about coding? That's not, that's not something you learn in another industry. But yes, there is a learning curve. There, There is you're going to have to start at the bottom. That's just the way it is. And all of us, all of us who are out here, you know, doing education or, or consulting or, you know, the, the really, really good coders, we've been doing it for a really long time. So you can't, and I've seen people try to just cram it in their brain all at once. They, the learning process is never over. I've got a stack full of things on my desk because we're getting ready to do training on the, the new code updates and and the new DRGs. I'm trying to learn all this stuff. So it's, the learning process is never over. And um, you've got a lot of catch-up to do before you can learn what the rest of us are trying to learn now. You meant, it's funny because I remember... Uh you know, we go through these coding guideline updates and one of them was um, diabetes and osteomyelitis. Remember those diabetic conditions where they had them separate? Oh, yeah. So here's the story is, is uh, as a CDI specialist, I was training the physicians, please, please, can you <laughs> document or, you know, document diabetes associated with or not associated <laughs> with osteomyelitis? And then by the time the, um, oh gosh, hold on. <laughs> can you hear that? Well, I can hear that. God, these, these are people. This is in Orlando. So in Orlando, Disney World. So it's time for them to all wake up and get in their car and go straight to Disneyland because Disneyland wakes up at, you know, starts at nine o'clock in the morning and everybody wants to go. <laughs> Anyways, so we'll work with this. Anyway, so the idea was, you know, I was training these docs 
every day in, day in, day out, day in, day out, until the following coding guideline um, update that totally demolished it. <laughs> you know, they took it away. So, okay, you can make that association now, no matter what. And by the time that change made, the physicians finally got it, and they were doing it. And then I had to go back to the doctors, and I say, sorry, docs, you don't have to do it no more. <laughs> you know? And can I, I get these looks now, and, you know, it's like, you know, I'm just the messenger, and I keep on telling you, I'm just the messenger, and uh, don't kill me, but I don't make the rules, okay? I'm just letting you know I'm sorry, you know? So let's move on to number four, the question that I think um, I get myself, and you have gotten yourself, will you mentor me? Can you mentor others? Well, and looking at at this question today, um, and actually just just had an aha moment within this podcast that I would answer this differently today. Um, I get emails and people saying, will you mentor me? And I, I usually say, you know, I, unfortunately I'm just not in a position to be able to do one-on-one mentoring. And that is true. Uh, But I do think that um, mentoring is something that should be done face to face. I don't think that it should be done through email I think a phone call can potentially work. So the the guy that I was talking about earlier who um, I had a phone call with him and he was trying to make that decision on whether to take that coding internship or not, that went well. Um, I've had people call me up who are local um, that I've met through some of my... I had one person say, can I take you to lunch? I just want to take you to lunch and take your brain for a little bit. And... um, and I'm like, sure, I, I'll go to lunch. I'll, you know, it, um, so, it, so yes, the answer today would be different. Of course, my schedule is kind of hectic, but um, I don't think that you should be emailing somebody and saying, well, you mentor me. I think you need to be finding somebody who is close and local and, um, you know, you also need to come prepared. Like, I'm not just going to show up and say, okay, this is everything you need to do. You need to come prepared and say, this is what I'm thinking, and I I don't know, um, this is what I like to do, and am I on the right career path? So it's, if you're asking for somebody to mentor you, you need to be ready to do some yeah. work. Is it, you funny, it's funny that you mentioned mentoring, because I actually had... Um, <clears throat> At another interview, and she's going to be on the guest, uh, Noel, Noel Dale, and we talked about mentorship. And uh, one thing, at least for me, when when I understood being a mentor, because on Facebook I'm getting constant messages. Oh, can you can you give me this advice? Can you give me this advice? And I'm like, why are you on my personal Facebook messaging? <laughs> you know, like, hello, it's for me, and it's only for you know. Not that I don't say it that way, but you know, it's 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 the avenue and how you do it. You know, it's like it's the approach. You know, if you're going to go to somebody who you revere in the industry, there has to be a certain level of prestige on how you approach that person. You know, um, and, you know, for me, I'm cool. I'm cool. You you can talk to me um, and, you know, I have no no judgment, whatever. I'll just give you whatever you need. But there's a certain criteria that I need. 
is, you know, you can't email me all this stuff. Like sometimes I'll get a question or, you know, email question that is like a paragraph paragraph long. Now, I have a very short term <laughs> attention span to long, you know, winded documentations. Sometimes I just get up and walk away. So if you send me that, I have no time to, to look at all that. Um, but for me, I, I need the person to make a connection, just like in networking. You have to make that connection. You can't just type and expect like a Q&A to happen. Um, but one thing going back to Noel Dale is that, you know, when I first thought of mentorship, I thought I had to like, it's like a responsibility. Like I have to carry you along with me, like my Padawan in Star Wars, like my Jedi, you know, my future Jedi. And, um, I thought that was the case, but the, when I listened to Noel, it, it was the idea of, it's not so much that you have to, it's like a long-term, you know, type of a relationship. It can be short-term. You can have short-term mentorships. You can have long-term mentorships. Uh, it doesn't have to be like a couple days. It could be like maybe that moment uh, that becomes a mentorship opportunity. And I think the idea is whatever information that you're able to give at the right moment, that is a, you know, it's a it's a moment versus mentorship, the responsibility of carrying that person along. So, you know, every little bit counts, you know, but, you know, everybody has different terms of, de- you know, different definitions of um mentorship i've always thought of it as the jedi and the the padawan the apprentice <laughs> type of thing as a um, I, no i'm totally with you there and that's kind of what i was thinking too and i'm just recently starting to come around and think yeah it doesn't have to be a long-term yeah, yeah. thing so. You know, especially with this podcast, you have to think outside the box. And, you know, it, you know, any to me, like, especially we're now in an age that we could do this, even on Skype, you could do it, um, you know, but of course, you know, we have our time frame and you have, you know, for those that are requesting people to be mentors, um, it can't be done through email. Also, be very respectful, respectful of the mentor's time. Uh, because they're also doing their own thing and then they're stopping what they're doing to help you, you know, and, and to, to doing that, you know, it creates a, a certain passion to help others. You know, if they have the ability to do that, then shoot, you know, you might as well go to that person. If you see that person helping a lot, but also be very cognizant of how many people they might be helping. And, uh, you know, there's not it's not something that they give freely. All right, let's move on to number number three. Okay, number three, I went to school for fill in the blank, I guess whatever, a time frame, month and years, and I'm certified. I'm qualified to be a coder anywhere. What does that mean? <laughs> um, I think the best response to that is I've, um, I went to school and I've been coding for 22 years and I am not qualified to be a coder anywhere. Um, you you just, there's no way you can know all of it. I know some coders who kind of ride the line between professional fee coding and hospital coding and God bless them. I don't know how they do it. Um, I would say that, you know, you can be a jack of all trades, master of none, or you can find one or two areas where you really feel like you excel and, and go concentrate on those. Um, a little bit of Humility is huge when you're breaking into the coding field because um, you you may have done well in classes and feel like you, you're ready to tackle the wor- world. I will tell you that my first semester in coding, I got a C and I hated mm-hmm. it. I do not think that school is a good indication of how you will perform yes. as a coder because what I call 
statement coding mm. from a test I is like that. very, I like that. very different. I like that statement coding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very different than coding from a record. Uh-huh. I can't code from a statement uh-huh. because I have too many questions. Yeah. You know, what else is right. going on with this patient? Mm-hmm. Um, and you get those answers in a medical record, but you need to know how to, how to explore yeah. those. So there are, um, I think I mentioned in in the blog post that radiation oncology coding scares the bejesus out of me. I would never want to code that. Um, but on the other hand, give me a congenital heart surgery, um, and I will. I'll I'll tough it through. I'll you know it's going to be tough, but I'll I'll get through it. I I should say that. Uh, up until a couple of years ago, I hadn't done a lot of pediatric coding, and now I work with a couple of clients who are children's hospitals, and now we had to do all of their ICD-10 education. I've learned things I've never even heard of. In one of the classes, somebody said, how would you how would you code a Mitrofenov? And I said, Gesundheit, what the heck is a Mitrofenov? <laughs> So, um, you know, there's, it, it, you'll just never be ready to code in every single situation. Mm-hmm. So um, don't just, that's probably the biggest thing with Coder Coach. You're not going to come out of school knowing everything. You're going to come out of school knowing about 10% of what it's like to be a coder and what you will need to get you through your career. And you, the rest of your life is going to be learning and changing, like you mentioned with the whole diabetes thing. I like I like at the that's end of number three where you say, and I'm quoting you, acting too big for your britches is not. Uh, acting too, like you're, <laughs> like you're acting, like, I guess I'll, I'll say this, I always say this in, in the, the previous post is when I got my RHIA, and I'm sure this also applies to people who get their CPC, wants to get their apprentice thing off, or their CCS, um, they feel like they can conquer the world, but they don't know what the world is like. You know, and then, you know, it's a matter of getting smacked in the head with a reality, uh, with this smacked with reality, you know, that you sense like, man, do I really, you know, am I able to do this? But then the next question is, are you able to persevere through that? You know, are you able to go through the trenches, as you always have mentioned? Uh, and this is the opportunity where you can find some soul searching and figure out who you are. You know, and that's the key. So I remember when I when I got my RHA, I'm like, man, I could be a director right away. No problem. You know, because <laughs> the school trained me to do that. But then when I was in the scenario, when I when I was uh, put into the to the to the moment, I had to go run in my office and lock myself in my office, grab a, what was at the time? Abdul Hack. Um, she was an author for the RHIA or a health and information management book. And I sat there and like, oh my gosh, let me go through the management section. Let me look through, um, policies and procedures. (laughs) You know, it was a moment like that, that was my, that was my reality slap in the face. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, a couple of things. I, I thought the same thing coming out of school. Now my mother was an RHIT and my mother had kind of gone down the because um, oh, you said you said you said A R T, right? She was an A R T. Yeah, she um, actually I was an A R T. Oh wow! When I first oh, graduated, right. but um, you know we transitioned to R H I T soon after that, and um, she she worked in mental hospitals, which have very small medical record departments, where she did everything. She was. 
she was the department director. She worked in one hospital where she not only was the medical record department, she was also the quality department. And so I'm thinking, look at all this cool stuff I can do with my degree. And, um, you know, then I end up working as a coder, making what, like $8 an hour, $9 an hour, 20 years ago. But, um, a lot of this advice that is written here, it it may sound harsh. I'm for a lot of it. I'm talking to my younger self <laughs> because I was that person who thought I I can do all of this. I can tackle the world. And if anybody listening to this podcast knew me 20 years ago, they probably find this advice absolutely hilarious because um, I was that person. Yeah, yeah, and I think when when you like when you become that auditor, that educator, uh, that consultant, um, I think it's important that you you speak or you teach from experience. And those experiences, especially when you, you totally mess up or the times that you panicked or the times that you were on deadline and you were like totally going crazy, those are the moments that you bring forward, you know, in terms of Absolutely. telling people, this is what I did. And like you said, I would have done it differently. <laughs> I would have done it differently. <laughs> so it's it's always, I think well, a lot of times, like you're learning again, from those mistakes. But then again, I mean, if I if I hadn't been so bold, would I have gotten where I was? That, that kind of goes through, through my mind. And you talk about, you know, your own experiences feeding into what you pass on. And um, as, a, as an educator, I... Everybody thinks it's hilarious, but I'm dyslexic, so I'm a dyslexic coder. We actually have a had a training at one point called the dyslexic coder. I, in order for me to train something, I have to completely tear it apart and rebuild it in in a way that it makes sense for my brain, and then that's how I teach it. So I do I do things a little bit differently than. Um, than a lot of other, a lot of other trainers. I'm a very visual person. Uh, my webinars are very colorful, have a lot of pictures, have a lot of graphics and things to, you know, kind of make things memorable. But um, yeah, the uh, let me just say the sentence on this last one where you quoted me. The sentence before that was natural curiosity and a willing to learn is a good thing. Acting too big for your britches is not. So um, just to put it a little more in context, it, humility, just try to, to keep that humility, but keep pushing forward for what you want. All right. So let's go on to, <laughs> let's go on to number two, almost done with this list. Number two, and yes, this is the most common question. How can I get experience if no one will hire an inexperienced coder? Oh God, I wish I knew. Um, you know, the strategies that I used to get a job don't work anymore. People don't do internships in hospitals. A lot of times the coding department doesn't exist in a physical sense. It's all virtual. Everybody's at home. Um, so there, there are a couple of things that I, I recommend. First of all, you should be working with somebody to um, on, on your resume if you have previous work experience figure out how you can make that translate into something that would be an asset in the coding field. 
The other thing I recommend is don't search for, when you're searching for jobs online, don't search on coder. Search on ICD-10 or CPT because you're going to find coding-related jobs that will get your foot in the door and will help, you know, they're more entry level and then you can work up because people are always more willing to hire from within. So if you can just get your foot in the door, that might be working as a biller in a hospital, even working as an admissions clerk in a hospital because they use codes for medical necessity on the front end. Um, that can help you and um, network go and go out and meet people you've got to talk to people face to face and it's becoming more and more critical in our virtual world i know i know everybody wants to work from home and they have visions of being locked in their offices by themselves and most coders are introverts and yes it, it can be like that but you have to meet the employers first and they're more willing to give you a chance if they can, like you said, look you in the eye, shake yeah. your hand, and get a feel for yes. you That's as an true. individual. We talked about this uh, with Charlita Huffman's episode about that. Um, also, I had, um, uh, what's her name? A- Annie Barnaby, who is, uh, she's part of projectresume.com. We actually talked about too, that too, is, you know, the idea of we can't just, you know, expect the job to fall on our lap <laughs> it doesn't work that way you know it's not like a vending machine you know you have to go and prove yourself that's uh, that's what that's, that's always my oh that's always my uh, advice prove yourself you know if you have no experience well then prove yourself otherwise you know you don't have it on paper but you know you have it like you say in different skills so prove that you know show that and how it relates to you know, and, and connect the dots, you know, you know, if I don't have this experience, but I do have this experience. And I think because of this, it'll help make a, a not a not a necessarily easy transition, but a, tra- a transition nonetheless, that to the point that I may be able to do the, the job. You know, those are the things that you kind of have to look at. Um, and of course, you know, like you said, the introverts uh, staying, you know, staying in the social media uh, bubble it's not going to work. Jobs are not being made when you, <laughs> I mean, you can make the connection, yes, but you can't, you can't do it unless you meet the person or at least get, you know, have the person get a sense of who you are through voice, at least. Uh, I know we have Skype and all of these visual things. Those are the things that are happening now. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't just say, okay, I don't have experience and kind of give up. You can't do that either. You know, you have to step out of your step out step out of your box and say, "Hey, I can do it, but I can I have to figure out how." And you mentioned the idea of you know finding something that's related. You got to start somewhere, uh, and it's a matter of going back to saying humility, right? So you, you got to say, "Well, I really got to start somewhere, but it has to be somewhere that probably is not in line with what I want to do." But it doesn't matter. It's I think it's not a it's not a matter of you know not doing it now, but perhaps later. Absolutely. Uh, and if you think of each job as a stepping stone, I, I mentioned that I, I hit all of my career goals by the time I was about 26. And then I thought, well, where do I go from here? And um, my thought at that point was just like, well, let's just write it. So I worked as a coding consultant for a couple of years. And then um, one of my 
one of my coworkers left that company and she told me about this educator position that was open at this revenue management company. Would you like to come work here? And then, you know, when I felt like I needed a change, I called a friend who owned a company and I said, Hey, um, would you, would you give me a job? I mean, I know that you guys don't really do coding yet, but would you like to do coding? Would you like to get into that? And she hired me. And, um, then it was when I was working with her, I was doing some, some, some subcontracting with Mary Beth Haugen and, um, Mary Beth lives locally and, um, she was doing wonderful things. She had just started up her company. She had just hired her first employee. She was subcontracting with me to provide coding education for some of her clients because she said, you know, we're not going to do ICD-10 education. We're just going to do implementations. And, and I, so I, I called her up one day and I thought, I'm going to ask her for a job. And I, I called her up and I said, Hey, how you doing? You know, we need to go have a glass of wine and, and, and get together and she's like oh man business is booming it's just crazy and she said i i just hired a coder because we're going to be doing some icd 10 documentation reviews and now my clients are asking me for education so if you know anybody who who can do um education and i'm like well it's funny you mentioned that because i was gonna ask you if you wanted to hire me and she's like oh my gosh so you just you don't know who you're going to run into. So my last, like I said, last three jobs were mm-hmm. because I knew somebody. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, at least for me, it's always been, it, you know, the, the initial connections may not lead to a job, but later on they will. You know, uh, it's again, it's important. That's what I always say. How can I get experience if I don't have any experience? Networking. That's my answer. Even though that's like, what? What, like, people, like, what? what do you mean networking? There's always, you know, when I say something, there's always a deeper meaning to it. And uh, people kind of like, oh, what do you mean? I said, well, you got to talk to me about that. I'll tell you. <laughs> you know? It it's kind of opens the door like, well, I can tell you. You got to call me. You know, you can't email. You know, that's the idea. But, you know, there's always a deeper meaning to that. And like, it's a matter of creating that circle. And and uh, most successful people, they're, they're, they're successful because of the network, uh, the net worth of their network. You know, you have to look at that. The people, you know, it truly is. And unfortunately, you know, there's a certain stigma as like, well, it's a matter of who you know. Well, yes, it is. Truly it is. You know, to, to, to kind of nip it in the butt. Truly it is. Yes, it's what you know, but then it's also who you know. And the more people you know, the better. You know, that's 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 to me the way it's going to happen. Let's move on to the final one. We're <laughs> in the final and the number one. I'm going to read it off. And the number one cringeworthy thing wannabe coders say is, I want to be a coder because I want to work from home. So before I'm going to hold you off right there, I see this a lot, you know, and sometimes in in, in the Facebook groups, it's just a certain one liner. How, you know, where can I find, I want, no, really it is, I want to work from home. Where can I find it? So how would you, how would you respond to that? Uh, um, well, in my blog, I respond by saying, Ack. <laughs> it makes me want to scream. And you know what? It, it's okay if that's your reason that you want to work from home. Um, that's why you want to be a coder. I my first advice is really examine if this is what you want to do because coding is hard. Coding requires skill. 
and um, you're going to be under production deadlines and um, some people even call them quotas of a certain amount of work that you need to get done. It, it's not always working just whenever you want to work. And um, I think what really took me aback, I had a baby last year and I ordered something online and, you know, when, when you order anything baby or maternity related, you get this whole packet of information of, you know, stuff they think you're going to need. And in it, there was a flyer for coding from home. And on the flyer was a picture of a woman sitting at a desk in front of a computer with a baby on her lap. And and now I didn't have a baby at the time. I was I was still pregnant, but I'm thinking, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, I've never had a kid, but I have done the job, and I can't even have the radio on when I'm coding and really focused. And um, it's first of all, why do you want to work from home? Is it you want to avoid the commute? You um, you are an introvert and you really think it'd be easier to do the job with without that you don't have childcare. i'll tell you right now that most employers will force you to sign a contract when you're working from home yeah don't even that say says that. <laughs> that you will have somebody taking care of your children that's an e- that's an easy game over yeah. right there if you see don't that. think you're going to be sitting here coding with your baby on your lap and that it's all going to be hunky-dory um why do you want to work from home? And you also need to realize that for a lot of, of employers, that's something that you work up to. I know I've got one in, one client who everybody trains in-house until they hit a certain quality percentage, and then they go home. But they are required to maintain the quality and the productivity and if they don't meet those, then they get brought back in-house. So it is a privilege to work from home. And, it, I mean, it's great. I Don't get me wrong. I have not had a physical office for over 15 years. And um, I now go to the office. Uh, well, I haven't been doing so great last couple months. But I have the option to go to the office here in Denver, which is so nice to get to talk to people and realize that, you know, I have coworkers. But um, it, if you don't really like to code, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable at home. Yeah. And then... And the fact that you're by yourself it's makes it even worse. incredibly isolating. You know? As a matter of fact... Um, that's why I was going to the office a couple times a week. My, my husband was afraid that he's kind of seen me get into these funks when I'm under a deadline and I'm in my office all the time trying to get things done. That's the other thing is the computer is always there. It's always available. And you're, you know, you can work in your pajamas. It's a double-edged sword. People expect you to still get your work done. And um, I, I would fall into these funks because I am a people person. I have my introverted moments, but I'm a people person. And he said, you know, after the baby's born, I think you probably should go to the office a couple days a week. And, um, you know, there, I have other coworkers who were out in the field training before ICD 10 and they haven't been out training and they're starting to feel it. Like I got to go somewhere. I've got to talk to somebody. I have another coworker who, rents office space she lives in kansas but she rents 
office space somewhere so that she can see people during the day. It is, be careful what you want. I know a lot of coders who are forced to work from home who wish they could go back. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a remote coder depression. We might want to sign a code for that, you know? It's a certain funk. Like you said, it's it really is like a certain level of depression where you're like, man, I, I you know, I'm 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 stuck in this and this is creating a level of redundancy, uh monotony, I think that's the better word, and that can get to you. And, and you know, I think the key is uh, and this is probably a separate topic is, you know, if you're in that funk, if you're in that, if you get that really sense of feeling, it's going to affect your performance. And, and keep in mind when you, when your performance goes down from a remote perspective, you said it's a privilege. If you lose that privilege of in not meeting that productivity, well, guess what? You got to go over wherever you got to go meet up. Or perhaps if it's just a remote role, well, guess what? Chop. It's going to be chop. They're going to chop you right off, put you on the sidelines you know, until you can produce again. So you have to keep that, keep those things in mind. Remote is, is convenient, but it's totally not easy. It's attainable, <laughs> but it's like, you know, you got to stay on your top game in order to maintain yeah, that privilege. I think a lot of people have visions of just being able to go to lunch whenever they want. And um, I'll tell you the reality is if I'm a neat freak, so if the house is messy, then I can't work. And I remember telling somebody, I can't work if there are dishes in the sink. And she said, well, I can't see the kitchen sink from my, from my computer. I said, neither can I, but I know they're there. (laughs) So it's one of those, you know, I get up very early in the morning and make sure that everything's straightened enough for me to be able to focus on my work. You know, there there was one um, recruiter on Facebook. I'm not going to name the person's name, but uh, it was a while back, though. Anyways, the they like to put visual aids, right? And so they were they were promoting a remote job, and one of the things that the person put a picture of was a picture of the beach. Number one, uh, I think there were uh, bungalows out there in, in the water. I think that's what they're called. And then there's a desk on the beach with the computer. Or was it a lounge chair on the table and or on the computer? And I'm like, you can't. Well, I think me. I saw that. You know, that's not the best way of. You saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I think people are reacting to that. So, hippa, hippa, hello, hippa. Well, come on, you you're know? in Florida. Uh, but that's not the you're best in way of. That's not what you're doing. Yeah, but you don't see me. You don't see me bringing my laptop have, to the to the I shore. I have a few comments <laughs> about that picture. First of all, have you ever tried to look at a laptop screen when you're sitting in the sunlight? <laughs> um, second of all if you're coding from home you probably have large dual screens and um, so that you can see more of a medical record page and and be able to get through it you will hate life if you don't have your screens you become such a dual screen snob when you're a coder Um, because your little laptop you know like 14 or 15 inches and um and the other thing is, you know, I'm sitting in my office right now in front of my dual screen, and I have code books everywhere. Even though I have an encoder, I have code books, I have notes, I'm still a paper person. It's, it's not, even though I go to the office a couple times a week sometimes, <laughs> I have to pack up almost like I'm leaving town and pack all the books that I'm going to need for that day. So 
the reality of remote coding is you're working at home in your office. You're probably not working elsewhere. Yeah, not at the beach for sure. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> what your what your internet bill would be, and and how long is your extension cord that you're gonna? Unless you have a really good uh, battery to to hold you out that long, which comes to the question, like you know, how long are you gonna work there? You know, is like maybe two hours and go, but that's not that's not the point. You know, then it's a matter of productivity at that point. Anyways, whoo, we finished. All right. Well, before we complete your episode and uh, before your baby wakes up, um, let's answer these two questions. Number one, what does the future hold for you? Ah, uh, you know, this right now, it's probably the first time in my career that I am not trying to advance my career. I've done a lot of soul searching over the years and made a lot of discoveries about myself. I love, I love training people. I love doing the coder coach. I am not a good manager. I don't like the person I become when I'm managing. And I, I work for, I know that you're going to interview um, Mary Beth Haugen for another episode of this. And once you hear from her, you'll find out why I, really am so happy where I am so <laughs> okay I'll, I'll make sure I'll write that question down <laughs> she, dude if you need questions to ask her I could give you a lot talk about mentors Mary Beth has been another one of my mentors you know they do change over the years both personally and professionally and um, she does amazing things I when I came to work at the Haugen group I was the fifth employee and we, I think we now have somewhere around 20, 25 employees. And mm-hmm. yep, that's what I was going to ask. In twenty fifteen, the company won an award and became one of Colorado's companies to watch. And and, and just watching her build this company and being a part of that, I I want to keep learning. I want to keep educating. And I'm in a position where, you know, I get to, I get to attend coordination and maintenance committees. I get uh, their meetings, um, at least virtually, not in person. I get to, I summarize all of that for, for my coworkers. I'm the first one to delve into coding clinic and, and writing content and trying to find new and exciting ways to present coding so that it's not boring. So I'm, I'm just happy where I am and, um, I have a baby. So I'm just, you know, I'm building my family now. It's been, it's been a fun ride over the last 22 years and I can't wait to see where things go from here. All right. So what, what, what does the future hold for coder coach? Well, Coder Coach, and I mentioned earlier that, you know, it's something that I did for personal fulfillment, and I really am trying to figure out how to reinvent Coder Coach. Uh, You know, blogging can be tough. I miss the face-to-face thing. I am currently chairing the Data Quality Committee for for CHIMA, for our, our AHIMA State Association. And as I mentioned, that's for Colorado, correct? Yeah. And as I mentioned, we've got that meetup group for for coffee chats. And I think I'm going to start up some Coder Coach coffee chats. And I've kind of gotten the blessing from from everybody 
who's, who's involved with that to kind of get back to it because that that's what fuels me to keep going is hearing people's personal stories and I'm just not I'm not as invested in doing that online I want to see people so so that, that comes to my next question would you ever create a podcast from that or some type of media that shares that you know I had thought about doing Facebook lives or something along those lines. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I listened to your podcast and I know you put a tremendous amount of work into this and I don't know if I want to work that hard to be honest. Uh, but you know, maybe, maybe just doing a couple of videos to post on, on social media just to because it definitely I love to write but it is not a quick process for me because I I reread I edit quite a bit and um, like I said I start things and I start blog postings and I don't finish them but um, it's I I'm looking looking for that self-fulfillment again but I think I need to see people face to face in order to really get back to it yeah, it's it's like you know chefs they have to go like to somewhere else like they go to india they go to thailand and they get inspired they come back and then they create these wonderful dishes you know that's how it is and uh it's you know because everybody I, I speak to i said you should create a podcast <laughs> <laughs> you should create some type of youtube like i'm, I'm cur- encouraging people alongside with this podcast to also you know create content in a different manner other than you know the writing writing is fine but also, I think people are more connected when they see you. Like you said, you want to meet people and also hear you. People are also auditory learners as well. So that's good. So I want to see a Coder Coach podcast, hopefully. <laughs> or what's the other one? What is it? A data, data quality coffee chat podcast. That would be awesome. I think people would love that. You know, that would be awesome. Um, so that leads us to our final question. Again, uh, Christy, thank you for being part of this podcast. And what final words do you want to share with our audience? Oh, wow. Um, I know I'm you said a lot. Say. I always say that. You say a lot. But what, what's one thing that people, you know, who can, when you know, now that we're wrapping this up, what can they walk away from after listening to you? I hope that, I, I guess I hope that they realize that they're the reason that I'm, writing all of this stuff uh you know like i said i re i reread that blog post for the cringeworthy things and it felt like it sounded a little harsh but it really is i i want to i want to build this future of of coders who really know what they're getting themselves into and growing up i going through school I had my mom to bounce things off of. I have not made a career decision without talking to my mother. She's been the ultimate mentor. And I still tell her, you know, about all my projects for the day because my husband doesn't understand what I'm talking about. Um, it, it just, I, I kind of want to be that person for other people because I realized that not everybody had somebody every time they changed a job to say, is this, is this a really good idea? Should I do this? And um, I will, I should say that 
the other thing is follow your bliss. I keep saying it, but follow your bliss. Out of school, I was offered two jobs. I was offered a coding job, and I was offered a job with a utilization review company. They, at the time, they hired ARTs to do utilization review and case management, and that job paid more than the coding job. And I took the coding job, and when I fought, when I called you the other company and said, I'm going to take the coding job. Thank you so much for the opportunity. The interviewer told me I was foolish that I was actually, I think that job paid the coding job paid more until I passed my ART and then the utilization review job would pay more. She's like, you're only taking Mm -hmm. that job because it pays more and there's no future in coding. The future is in utilization (laughs) review. And that company is no longer around. Wow, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> coding exploded. And I'm not saying that that's mm-hmm. necessarily going to happen to you, but if you're doing what you love, it's just, mm-hmm. it's going to transition. And one thing leads to that's the it. other. So that was like five things. <laughs> so there you have it, Christy Pollard. Thank you very much, aka The Coder Coach. You can check out The Coder Coach at codercoach.blogspot.com you could also check out the coder coach on facebook and also twitter not elsewhere classified is presented and produced by medical coding geek music was brought to you by 43 and coyote hearing medical coding geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding health information and cdi community you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at med coding geek that's med coding geek you can also find us on our website medicalcodinggeek.com where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today make sure to subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts stitcher and google play we would definitely appreciate it And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com That's why it's it's edited. All right. Pollard. Pollard, Thank you. And then Coder Coach. What did I say? Coding Coach? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. Uh, welcome everybody to Not Elsewhere Classified. I have here Christy Pollard. Pollard, God. <laughs> I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna add this here. All right. You know, you should just relax. I know. Be, you know.